We don't know exactly when it happened. Was it before his father died or after his father died? In some ways, it doesn't really matter because for this younger brother, it seems that this is all he could be thinking about. It was just consuming his full thought process every day. And time has passed now, and we're wondering, well, where are we in this journey? His dad is gone for sure, and his oldest brother, what, what, and what's going to be left for me? And as I said, time's passed now, and, and, and dad is gone, and his oldest brother has inherited a double portion of the inheritance, because that's how it works in the Jewish culture. And this is what's got him thinking about stuff. It's bugging him, though, to no end. It frustrates him. It makes him bitter. He's angry. He doesn't like how this is coming about. And his mind is preoccupied with this new reality. It's it's all he can think about. And like I said, it frustrates him. It makes him bitter. And and as he thinks about that, I got to imagine that he's thinking about his oldest brother. Maybe he's thinking about his mom. And perhaps he's wondering, do they even care about me? The youngest one, the little one, if you will. We don't know if he has friends. We don't know if he has a family. But it would seem even in crowds, he feels alone. Even in crowds, he feels alone. And the crowds, by the way, are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. They keep growing. And that's where we find him today, is in the crowd. But we don't know if he was in the crowd when previously on a different day, a demon was driven out of this one person by this rabbi named Jesus, and he's from Nazareth. We don't know if he was in the crowd on the previous day when a woman shouted out to Jesus, blessed is the mother who birthed you and nursed you. To which Jesus' reply was, blessed rather is the one who hears the word of God and obeys it. And we don't know if he was in the crowd on a previous day when on that day, Jesus described the crowd as a wicked generation because they didn't seek to understand or pursue this Messiah whom the Father had sent to save the world. Those were the previous days. We don't know if he was there, but we do know for a fact that he's in the crowd on this day. And this is a day that's going to be written in Scripture as well. It's on this day the crowd now has many thousands of people in it. Scripture tells us that the crowd is so great that people are trampling on one another to get closer to Jesus. And somehow or another, this youngest brother has managed to make his way through the crowd up into the front. Mind you, thousands of people trampling on one another. Maybe he's one of the people trampling on others. Maybe his older brother who happens to be with him at this point is with him. And they've made their way up to the very front of the crowd where Jesus is teaching And then it comes to him, this thing he's been thinking about. And he feels that anger and he feels that bitterness. He feels that kind of betrayal by the way the Jewish system has been set up, by what his dad had set up, by what his brother is getting. And then it hits him. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask this rabbi right here to fix this problem. I'm going to yell out to this rabbi to tell him what I want Jesus to do for me. And after all, his oldest brother is right here. It's the perfect setting. 
And that's where we find ourselves today as we continue this journey through the parables, the vignettes of spiritual truth. We get to take a front row seat and gather in to see what he says, how Jesus responds, and what this parable is going to be about. So if you've got a Bible, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, we're in verses 13 to 21 of Luke chapter 12. So I invite you to go there, either in your Bible, there's a Bible in front of you, or if you want to pull up your phone and do that, however that works for you. Luke chapter 12, we're going to be looking at verses 13 to 21, the parable of the rich fool. Parable of the rich fool. Let's just jump and start at verse 13. I'm going to read just a verse and a verse and a verse, and then we'll jump into the parable as we go along. Again, the setting is the crowd is there. Here's the brother. Here's the younger brother. And here's what he says. Someone, that's the younger brother, in the crowd said to him, that's Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Ah, I finally got it off my chest. It's what I've been thinking about for so long now. And finally, I can go to this rabbi and do this. You know, I find it interesting. The younger brother isn't interested in who Jesus is. He's interested in what Jesus can do for him. Have you been there? It's like, Jesus, what can you do for me? I'm not so much interested in who you are. I just know you can do something. At least that's what I've seen and heard about in the crowds and the miracles that you've done. And I'm wanting you to do another one. What Jesus can do, that's what's drawn the crowds. Let's see what he does now. Let's see what he does next. And this younger brother is no different in the crowd that day. They want to see what Jesus can do. And I think that's at least the majority of people are wanting to know that too. It's a Jewish culture. We, we, we can understand that given that Jesus is a Jew and this takes place in Jerusalem. And it was normal for people to go to a rabbi to settle family disputes. Who better than this rabbi to settle this dispute that he has with his brother? And this is why the younger son is in the crowd. It's about what Jesus can do for him and his situation. You see, in a Jewish family, the eldest brother inherited twice as much as any other. That's just the way it was. That was how it was set up. And it's the subject of this dispute that perhaps the oldest brother doesn't have, but the younger brother definitely has. And being the youngest of two older brothers, I get how it can be that you've got a dispute <laughs> with your older brothers, but they don't necessarily with you. And that's what we have happening here. In his mind, I think he wants Jesus to side with him. In his mind, he's thinking, Jesus is going to rule in my favor. In his mind, he's thinking Jesus is going to make this the way it should be as opposed to what our culture has set out to be. He's not seeking for Jesus to be an arbitrator. He's seeking Jesus to be an advocate for him, to take his side, to rule in his favor. And it's in this moment before this crowd of thousands that Jesus responds back to this younger brother. So someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Verse 14, here's Jesus's response. But he, Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator of you? And if you're wondering, is it really like, man, the word anthropos, which is man, is it's there in the Greek. So it's like, man, 
who made me an arbitrator or judge over you? In other words, Jesus is not going to be drawn into this at the request and thinking and approach that the younger brother has. As, as I think about this with crowds there, and, and at least those that were there that could hear this, in my mind is the response that Jesus gives to him, it, it's like a needle being dragged across a vinyl record. You know that irritating, just uh, sound? It's like what it's like for him. And I'm guessing as Jesus responds this way, I'm thinking this is the perfect opportunity for Southwest Airlines to do another commercial where it says, you want to get away? Because in this moment, I would think you'd want to get away from what Jesus' response is to the younger brother. The younger son's hopes, they're gone now. The mind that he had or this thought of this imaginary big payday, it's all coming to a screeching halt. It's not going the way he had hoped it would go. Which got me thinking, why does Jesus respond this way? Why does Jesus respond in such an abrupt way? And the answer really comes from this motive of the younger son. And the motive is greed. The motive is greed. The motive is covetousness. That's why he's responding to this. And while the story of greed won't be found on a latest episode of American Greed on CNBC, it is an episode found in Scripture. One that I think we should watch more than what we might see on TV about greed. It's to make sure that no one misses the evil destruction that greed can bring on someone's life. Which is why in verse 15, go back now and look at this. So we've had the call out by the younger brother, Jesus' response, and then the follow-up. Here's what Jesus says in verse 15. And he said to them, not just the younger brother, not just the oldest brother or the mom, but the entire crowd that's listening here. Here's what Jesus says, verse 15. Take care. And be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And there's that moment of silence, if you will, that pause of what Jesus has just said and what that means and what this is about. Greed, it's the intense selfish desire for something, especially wealth. That's where the younger son's coming from. Covetousness, it's having or showing a great desire to possess something that belonging to someone else. Again, the younger brother. That's what's happening here. That's where they're coming from. And the younger brother has a heart that is full of greed. The younger brother has a heart that is full of covetousness. And that's why Jesus is responding this way. And my guess is that he's not the only one in the crowd who's thinking this way too. Because maybe there's some other younger brothers and younger siblings out there that are thinking, yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but this guy has. And now maybe they're thinking, and Jesus is responding this way to speak to them. And if you notice, there's a crowd here today. <laughs> it's generally where Jesus is speaking to, right? Is speaking to the crowd. So we might find ourselves as we watch and look at this parable kind of going... Man, I don't know, which guy am I in this crowd? Because Jesus has the same message then as he does today. 
for anybody who's willing to listen to what he has to say. Looking back at this verse, just breaking this verse down, verse 15, just a moment. It says in verse 15, take care. Your translation might have watch out. In the Greek, it's a present verb, which means it's ongoing action. It's not just a once that you did that. Good, I'm glad I watched out. No, this is ongoing action. And it's an imperative, which means it's a command. And it's also plural, which means it's not just for the younger brother. It's for the older brother. It's for everybody in the crowd. And then he says, guard your heart, right? Guard, that idea again, present, imperative, plural. Everybody listening, here's my command to you, not only today, but forever. Be on the guard against all kinds of greed, all kinds of covetousness. That's what Jesus is trying to tell them. And as I thought about this, I thought, well, okay, why is this again, Jesus? And he says at the end of verse 15, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. One's life does not consist in the abundance of your focus. Okay, that's what he's trying to grasp or have people grasp for what Jesus is saying here. And if I'm thinking about it, I'm sitting in a Sunday school class as a kid going, well, yes, that's the right answer. Your life's not about abundance of your possessions. We all know that's the correct answer. That's what we're going to check. But once we leave the Sunday school class, once we get out of the church and we start living our lives, is it easy to check that box? Is it as easy to live out the correct answer? I mean, that's what I wrestle with at times. And it's not the message advertised to me everywhere I go. That life isn't about possessions and getting this and you deserve that. And here's another deal for you. And that's where I think Jesus goes, I know what you're thinking. You can get the answer correct. But you're going to wrestle with this. So let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story to help you grasp what I'm trying to get you to understand. And that's where we find this parable, verse 16. Let's pick it up till the end. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to myself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, aha, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. There I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich. Toward God. Father, we need some help here as we look at this parable and try to understand it and what it means for us in our journey with life, wherever we're coming from today, whatever is ahead for us tomorrow. God, we're not above or beyond having greed in our heart or wanting to covet what someone else has. We're not unlike the younger brother. And we're not the one maybe who's struggling with it, but it needs to be a message to us as the older brother. 
So God, wherever we are in the crowd today, I just pray that you'd speak to us and illuminate this truth for us that it be applicable to our lives wherever we find ourselves. God, we'd listen to the story and the message that's here. God, we would look at what it means to be a, have a live a life of generosity rather than one that has greed and covetousness and holds on to everything as though it's ours and not yours. So God, guide and direct the rest of our time that we have here today, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Look back at verse 16. I wanna ask you a question and this is where you get to participate in the crowd because you're the crowd, you can participate. Look at back verse 16. Okay, what do we see here? The land of the rich man produced plentifully. That's, that's a pretty simple verse. So the question is this, did this man do anything wrong to have such a large harvest? No. So four of you said response no. I'm guessing the rest of you thought yes. No, we all know the answer is no, right? We get that. So the amount that he has is not the issue. So for here and in this building and you have more than another person and you're thinking, well, is it wrong that I have more than another? No, that's not the point. That's what Jesus is getting after. So what's he after then? The error comes in this man and in the younger brother's views of what has become his. He's self-centered. He's focused on himself. He also does not factor in his mortality, that one day life is going to be over. He's not going to wake up. And most importantly, he's not acknowledging God. Remember, it's about, God, what can you do for me? I'm not so interested in who you are. It's what can you do for me? And that's where Jesus begins to put this parable and this story put into truth because we need the lesson. Did you catch the personal pronouns in verses 17, 18, and 19? Look back again in your Bible, your flat screen, whatever it is. And let's emphasize this. So verse 17, and he thought to himself, so he's got all the plentiful, nothing wrong with that. But here's where it starts to go south. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store up my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, so you have ample goods laid up for life for many years. Relax, drink, and be merry. I, my one, two, three, four, five, six times he says I. One, two, three, four, five times he says my. <laughs> it's not about the amount. It's about who he thinks owns it and who the manager is of it all. This represents the younger son. And what's God's response to him? Verse 20. But God said to him, fool, I caught my attention. Any of you ever watched the TV show, The A-Team? Mr. T, what did he say? <laughs> fool. Or he trademarked the phrase, I pity the fool. I don't know if you know that. So if you use that phrase, I pity the fool, he actually owns a trademark to that phrase, I pity the fool. And I thought about that of, can you imagine Mr. T saying, fool, to you? 
Never mind him. This is God speaking. And calling you a fool. That should get our attention. Everyone in the crowd's hair should go on the, up on the back of their neck. And your soul, your life, your existence is going to be demanded from you tonight. I think we probably grasp this truth. Everybody who went to bed last night did not wake up alive this morning. I saw on the news this morning, I was looking through because I'd like to see what's going on in the world. And there was like half a dozen people in a car in Vegas and they were driving and crashed and one of them got killed. It's just reality. We don't know when life is going to end. And the Father, God himself, is saying, don't be foolish as you go through life. Because at the end of the day, all the possessions are going to go to another. So let's understand what's going on in this parable and ask three questions. Number one is this. Who does the man represent in the parable? And the answer is greed and covetousness. That's who this man represents. This is the issue with the younger son. And guess what? It could be your issue too. As one of my mentors once said, when I was struggling with a sin issue in my life of none that I'd never dealt with before, he says to me, Bill, you're human. Oh, that's right. I forget about that sometimes. I'm going to fall short. I'm going to have greed. I'm going to be coveting something. It's a big deal. It's why in the 10th commandment exists, right? You shall not covet. Exodus 20, verse 17, which tells me the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, and the God of today is the same God telling us that as a warning. So who does the man represent in the parable? Greed and covetousness. Next question, what does the grain represent in the parable? Well, it's pretty obvious. It's money. It's wealth. And it's all of your earthly possessions. All that you have, all that has been provided to you. Again, quick question, making sure we're listening, class. Is there anything wrong with having possessions? Is there anything wrong with having money? No. Okay. So, but, like God would say in his word, but... Can money, can possessions take your eyes and attention off what really matters most in life? Yes. Hence why this parable comes into play. Proverbs 3, 9 commands us to honor God with our wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. For me, I write in my notes, preventative measure. It's a preventative measure to help me not fall into the sin of greed or coveting. It's a tool, if you will, to look at that. Next question. What is the spiritual focus of this parable? If you were to write it down and put it into one sentence, answer is this. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Be on the lookout. Present tense, imperative, plural to everybody. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. This is verse 15. It's the message to the younger son I want to submit to you, it's the message to the older son, and it's the message to the crowd. Then it's the message to the crowd today. 
You see, the eternal value of the spiritual focus found in this parable is punctuated in verses 20 to 21. But God said to him, you fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself. I, 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 me, 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 me. And is not rich toward God, is not focused on what's eternal and who God is and how this works. Verse 21, we are prescribed an antidote to greed and covetousness. Did you catch it? It's generosity. It's generosity. So the one who lays up treasures for himself is not rich, generous toward God. It's not maybe the flashiest last few words, but it's the point that he's trying to bring to us today about being generous, which is why this message is entitled A Life of Generosity, which led me to ask the question, how do you live a life of generosity? What is that supposed to look like? How does this play out in our lives? I could give you a message and say, well, you need to budget what you have. You need to save and have that for a rainy day, so to speak. You need to give. I could give that message. But as I look out amongst you, I'm thinking, you probably already grasped that. You probably have already heard that. I get that. So I want to step back and go, how can I make sure I keep it that way? And all the biblical principles are there. And I come back to what I call reminders. In other words, this is how I need to be thinking about everything of all my money, all my possessions that I have, that I'm going to have. And so I want to present this out to you in five reminders. And if this works for you, praise God. I'm telling you right now, this is a message preached to me. So here they are. The first one is heart. Heart. And I put it this way. Money talks, but your heart tells the story. We've heard the phrase, money talks, but I'm telling you now, your heart is the one that tells the story when money talks. That's why we have a story today in this passage of Scripture. In the parable, an inheritance talks, but the heart tells the story, does it not? That's the younger brother's story of greed. When I look at Matthew 6, 21, it tells us where your treasure is, there your what? Your heart will be also. I wrote in my notes for myself, that's a transparent truth. We might have a truth that we can keep hidden, but this is a transparent truth. It shows up in our lives and how we live them. Whether that's in the front of a crowd of thousands of people where we ask Jesus, hey, divide the inheritance for me. Oh, well, we know where your heart is. That certainly is going to be a talking point, but your heart already tells the story where you're coming from. This might seem weird to you, and maybe you're, I'm the only one that I know of, except for one other friend of mine, Marty Sawyers, who did this. But raise your hand if you've ever crashed a reception at a memorial service. Am I the only one who's done this? Did it years ago in college. My friend Marty Sawyers and I, he was staying at my house. He was a student at USC. We hung out together in a college group, great friends, did my wedding, all that. We're driving down the street a few doors up from the house I grew up in in Long Beach. And we see this massive crowd out in front, and we're thinking, we slow down and we go, 
What, what's going on? We're like, oh, we're celebrating Joe's life. Come on in and join in. We're like, uh, okay. So we go across the street, park, come back. We don't know anybody in this room. All these people are there celebrating this guy's life. And we're like, and they're like, how did you know whatever? I can't even remember what his name is. I'm, if, I'm offended. If, I'm sorry if your name is Joe and I just came up with that name. So put in whatever name you want. Like, how do you know Joe? Um, well, uh, we're neighbors down the street. Oh, great, great. You want something to drink? I'm like, no, I'm good. And I remember seeing this guy, Joe. I would skateboard in their alley across and I saw his 911 Porsche. I thought, man, I like that car. Well, I go into his house for the very first time and I go into his office and it, I'll never forget this. Behind his nice executive chair is a dollar sign that's about this big and this wide on his wall. I already told you about the car. Next to that is a picture of his yacht. Guess what? Money talks, doesn't it? But his heart was telling a big story that day. That convicted me. What's the story going to be about my life? What's the story going to be about your life when we celebrate your life? Money talks, but your heart tells a story. Where is your heart today? Where is your treasure today? What is it saying? Do you know? I would encourage you to check it out. 1 Timothy 6, 8 to 10 says, Those who want to get rich fall into the temptation and trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Look, I confess I'm making a judgment call on this guy because I did not know him. And maybe I was completely wrong. Even so, the dollar sign, the yacht, the car, the everything, and what I heard people talking about made me go, I don't, I don't know that this guy knew Jesus. So as we think about living a life of generosity, we got to start with our heart. That's a reminder because money talks, your heart tells us. Second reminder is this, Ownership. Think about ownership, and it's this point. God owns everything you have. God owns everything you have. This is true for both the oldest brother in the parable, and it's true for the younger brother in the parable. It's a timeless truth, if you will. Psalms 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Everything's the Lord. And I started thinking to myself, everything? Everything on the planet, God, is yours. And God's like, I knew you'd ask a stupid question, Bill, so I'll put in a verse for you to help you understand it. Yes, I do mean literally everything. Psalms 50, 11 says, For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills is mine, and I know every bird in the mountains. Oh, and by the way, if you're wondering, the insects in the fields are mine too. I think I get that you own my money. I get that you might own my car. I get no, you own everything. Even the fly that I killed in the house, that's yours that I took out and sacrificed, right? Every little living thing is God's. 
I got to remember that. If I'm seeking to live a life of generosity. And Romans 11.36 proclaims, For from him and through him and to him are all things. Again, let there be no doubt. Think of it this way. Most of you know or heard of Jerry Seinfeld. He had a pretty popular TV show once upon a time. He came up with another TV show called Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. Being that Jerry is a Porsche collector, uh uh-huh, and he's funny, I'm thinking I might like this show. And in one of the episodes as they're riding in the cool car, I don't know if it was a Porsche or not, but they're riding in this cool car, they're talking about money. And Jerry says, yeah, the other day my daughter asked me, Dad, are we rich? You know what his answer was to his daughter? No, but I am. I got my attention just to stop and think about it. Just like God saying, am I rich? No. But God is. He owns everything. How do you live a life of generosity? Here's a third reminder, stewardship. If he owns everything that comes in then to stewardship, you're a manager of God's provision. You're a manager of God's provision. Every dollar attached to your name. Think about that for a moment. Okay? Every possession you have. Try and think about that for a moment. Okay? That's too many for me. It belongs to God. Therefore, you are the manager of what God has given to you. That's your job. That's your role. You ultimately do not own it. Even the insects in your house you're trying to get rid of, God owns those too, right? How much more does he own the possessions every dollar? Therefore, God says in Proverbs 27, 23, regarding your responsibility to manage his provision to you, uses a farming analogy, a livestock analogy. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. And I would just ask you, how are you doing with that? Are you giving careful attention to everything that God has given to you? Is it in a mindset of going, God, am I being generous towards you? I don't want to be the fool here. Ask yourself this question you need to answer out loud, but let me, let me just share it with you. If you were paying someone to manage your money and your possessions, would you let them keep their job? With how you're doing that. Let me ask it another way. What if that someone was the younger brother right now? Managing your possessions and your money. How would you feel about that? See, this is a responsibility that we've got to come back to. That's why Jesus says, watch out, be on your guard. You're the steward of what God's given you. He's the owner. And yeah, money and possessions talk, but your heart's going to tell the story. Be reminded about that. How else do you live a life of generosity? Another reminder to help us with this is perspective. Perspective. Your possessions are temporary, but your life is eternal. Your possessions are temporary, but your life is eternal. I hope you caught this in the parable. 
All the grain, the wealth, the possessions were left behind when he met God, the Father met God. They're all left behind. Therefore, 2 Corinthians 4.18 instructs us to fix our eyes not on what is seen, money, possessions, all that we have here on this planet, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Galatians 6.8 warns us with the truth that whoever sows to please their flesh, in other words, focusing everything rich to themselves and not rich to God, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, God himself, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. That's what he's trying to bring out. In other words, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The parable that we see there. Perspective. It's kind of funny when perspective starts to take shape and you're not thinking it's going to be the place that it would take shape, but it begins to work in your life. (laughs) Back in high school and then into college, the church I was growing up in supported two local missions. The church was in Long Beach. We supported the Long Beach Rescue Mission and we supported the Beacon Light Rescue Mission down in Wilmington. And part of the responsibility for the college group I was in and the youth ministry I eventually led was we had certain times in the year that we had to go and lead the service. And I remember going to the service, which was on the day after Christmas. Mind you, all my possessions, some money I got on my mind, right? Oh, yeah, it's been a good Christmas. And here we go into a place where there's a bunch of homeless men seeking to get a meal, and they're told, you got to go into the service. And they used to sing this hymn, entitled, I've Got a Mansion Just Over the Hilltop. I've Got a Mansion Just Over the Hilltop. And the song goes on talking about that. And these men would fire off with like Red Bull or caffeine. I don't know, but they loved that song. Perspective. They didn't have a whole lot left, if anything. But what was the perspective? It was on the future. It was on what was eternal. And here I am as a young college kid thinking about all my stuff. And these men have already figured out it could all go away. That could happen to you too, Bill. But I've got a mansion just over the hilltop where we'll never grow old. One day yonder, we'll never more wander, but walk on streets of purest gold. That's what comes to my mind and just helping me have perspective about being generous. Last one is this, faith. Faith, trust what God says, not what the world does. (laughs) You ever find that hard to do? (laughs) Trust what God says, not what the world does. The crowd that listened to Jesus give the parable, I had to wonder, did they come to trust what God said? to watch out, to be on your guard against all kinds of greed and covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. What about me? What about you? See, Jesus instructs us in, in Matthew chapter 6, 19 and 20. This is what we need to trust what God says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth and where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in a steel, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. 
Trust what God says, not what the world does. And like I said in the previous illustration or story is where it comes from. And you go, oh man, I didn't expect that one. Well, here's another one. (laughs) About six years ago, I got in the car, my wife and my two kids. We're going down to the beach. And um, I said, by the way, Tina, my bookkeeper, said to me, hey, this is how much came in for VBS. I forget, it's $500, $600 or something at the end of the week for the missions we were supporting. And I remember thinking it's Cure International, and they do surgeries for um, children who need a surgery on, let's say, their feet or arms or something like that. So that's what the mission was. So we get in the car, and I say that story. Like, hey, we, we, we gave five, $600, whatever it was. And my daughter, Kendall, is in the back, single-digit age at this point. And she says to me, to us, unbeknownst to us, she says, huh, well, I gave my tooth fairy money to that. What? Yeah, I gave my tooth fairy money. She had lost a tooth and had some money, and she gave her tooth fairy money. I'm like, you gave your tooth fairy money? Yeah, I just thought, I probably don't need another toy as much as... um, what do they call that? Is it surgery? Yeah, one of those kids might need surgery. And I went, oh. how does a kid get this? And the grown-up in the front seat can't. Have you been there? Of faith in what God says, not what the world does? Thank you, Kendall, for reminding me of that. So what's the final thought for wrapping up today? I wrote it this way. What if your life is demanding of you tonight? That's what Jesus puts out here. What if that comes to the conclusion? What if your life is demanding of you tonight? With how you've handled your finances up to this day, and you stand before a holy God, the owner of all of it, the one who gave the provision, Because money's going to talk, but your heart's going to have a story to tell about how you did with that and what perspective you've had and whether you trusted God through it. What's the story? What's the conversation going to be? And the part that scares me is to think, I don't want to be in the category, the fools are over here, the wise people are over here. But this is a reminder that we need to think about that. Because someday your life will be demanded of you on a given night. That's finances, but let's go even further. What if you didn't know Christ and your life is demanded of you tonight? It was demanded of someone in that car last night that I saw the story about. I have no idea if they knew Jesus, but I don't think they were expecting to meet him. Not last night. So I don't know where you are today spiritually, but this is a reminder for all of us and for you if you have never made that decision to receive Christ as your Savior is going, man, I don't want to be called the fool. I want to make sure I'm ready to go. Father, we need some help with this. Lord, we looked at some reminders to us today from heart to ownership to stewardship, perspective and faith. God, I just pray and ask that you would help us to be able to be reminded of what matters and what doesn't. 
God, where we are with our finances right now, I just pray that you'd speak to us for a moment. Of those reminders, which one, God, would you say is the one we need to be thinking about a little bit more? To the person that's here and has never made that decision to receive Christ as their Savior, what if your life is demanded of you tonight? It's going to happen at some, someday. It's guaranteed. Are you prepared? Have you said, Lord Jesus, Son of God, Savior, have mercy on me, a sinner? Have you prayed a prayer or something like that? You can pray a certain prayer like that to receive Christ as your Savior today. It's the wise thing to do. The foolish thing to do is to ignore it as yet another day thinking I've got another decade or who knows how long to live before I need to answer that question. God, thank you for loving us enough to not blow off a, a question or a request that someone asked that was of greed and covetousness, but Lord, you took it as an opportunity to teach everybody about what matters most and what doesn't. So God, help us with these reminders to be generous towards you. I pray in Jesus' name.